This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Jenna Siri, a bookseller and associate producer of Poured Over, and today I am joined by award-winning author John Ray. With six books that range in subject, but with an intensity all his own, his newest novel, Gone to the Wolves, is a nonstop ride from Florida to L.A. to Scandinavia, all in the world of heavy metal following a group of young people that are really pushed sort of to the edge of their beliefs. John, thanks for being with us today. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to get started just laying out the book because, like I said, a lot happens. Um, We want to stay spoiler-free because I think people really need to experience all of this for themselves. But do you just want to sort of lay out the premise of Gone to the Wolves for us? Well, as you mentioned, Gone to the Wolves is set in the world of of heavy metal, and particularly uh, heavy metal sort of super fandom in the 1980s and 1990s, which is about around the time when I was a teenager and when I was listening to music in a really kind of fanatical, passionate way. I still am a passionate music listener, but I think there's like a way, those first bands that really kind of blow your mind. I mean, it's, it's like first love, you know, it's just more intense than anything else. In that world of, of kind of metal super fans in the 80s, it's really about a friendship between three kids, three teenagers who are initially drawn together by their shared love of metal and particularly a kind of underground, a little bit more extreme kind of metal, not so much poison or uh, or white snake and more, you know, dark, scary bands with with names like Deicide and Obituary and things like that, you know. So it's really a book about three friends um, coming together and sort of growing up together, trying to become adults together, uh, mostly failing to become adults together and and just how they survive uh, a roughly a decade in their young lives. Like I said, these characters in this plot, it runs the gamut from things that we all maybe experienced in young adulthood to things that I think many of us did not. No, but, probably not. Hopefully not. Yeah, but I'll let readers discover all that for themselves. I think one of the things that, you know, I was drawn to the book immediately seeing the cover because I'm a Midwest metalhead myself. Congratulations. And had to, I, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, I need that. I need that in my life um, because it is such a a distinct community. And when you sort of grow up, especially a lot of young people who grow up listening to that kind of music and in those communities and at those shows, it's such a distinct memory and such a core feeling for all of us. But can you tell us all uh, about how you sort of came upon this story and how you sort of decided that this was a book that you wanted to write and a story you wanted to tell? Even though it's such a kind of metal book in a certain way, uh, it didn't really begin with the idea of wanting to write about metal at all. I wanted to write about my teenage years and and uh, the friends that I had in those days, uh, some of whom were pretty hilarious and pretty crazy, and um, how each of us kind of came to terms with childhood slowly ending and, of course, a passionate devotion to music and to a musical scene is one of the ways that people kind of make that crazy, scary transition from childhood to adulthood, I suppose. You know, it it gives you a sense of community, even if you don't have that at home or at school even. So I really wanted to write about the friendship between these kids and in a way, find a way of writing about some people that I knew. And of course, my own feelings and experiences, falling in love the first time and just trying to stay alive and not get beaten up too much, you know, and these sorts of things that I think a lot of people 
in in more or less scary high schools have to deal with. And then it was kind of triggered because because I think like most writers, I have a lot of possibilities floating around in my head, and they don't all turn into to books. Probably it's all for the best that they don't. Um, but I bumped into this. I got to know this kid in New York City, uh, maybe 15 years ago, uh, who was from this very interesting, strange, not often visited part of Florida, um, which is sort of this area from that encompasses sort of central Florida, west over to maybe some towns that we have heard of, like Sarasota or Tampa. And he was this kind of outsider, oddball kid, really into art and weird, freaky things. And he himself was not a metalhead, but in the course of these amazing stories that he told me about how strange it was to grow up in that part of Florida, extreme metal just kind of came up again and again and again, and, and a lot of his friends were metalheads. So that just kind of got me remembering what it was like to grow up in Buffalo, New York, which is where I'm from, uh, which was just uh, dominated by metal when I was growing up, of all varieties. In fact, the very first sentence of the novel, uh, Name Checks, of, you know, sort of the biggest Buffalo metal band ever, Cannibal Corpse, partially because that's just an amazing, crazy name. And I thought it was a fun way to begin a book. But it was also a tip of the hat to, you know, the sort of world of metal that I grew up in. How did you find the research process for this? Because there is so much detail in this story. You, I mean, not only just real people, real bands, real everything that you include, but you make the world so rich. You really break us into this insular community group and allow readers to feel whether or not they've ever listened to a metal song, that they've ever been to a concert, that they really understand what this, this world is like. So when you were researching this novel, how did you include all those pieces and find a way to really show us what this world is like? Well, first of all, it was incredibly fun. Okay. It was the most fun I've ever had writing a book, hands down. But it wasn't always easy because I really wanted to write a novel that was fun and accessible and interesting, even for people who have no interest in metal whatsoever. I really thought about it the way, you know, the last novel I wrote was was set in Afghanistan um, and had to do with the Taliban and, and, and things like that. Again, I didn't write that book thinking like, oh, I'm writing a novel for people who are interested in the United States involvement in Afghanistan. That's not that's not how you write a book. You should always write a book thinking what could be what would be interesting. What's an interesting world to, to bring the reader into that maybe he or she may not be familiar with, you know, so. Doing the research was very easy because, uh, again, it's a world that I sort of grew up in and around. Um, and I had all these amazing stories of friends of mine, you know, including the kid I mentioned from Florida. But really, the, the trick was how to take all of this background and all of this research, uh, which may be true for any novel, and just not make it a burden on the on the narrative, you know? I mean, just only only make use of of the research that you've done when it will make the novel more fun and more exciting or more or more interesting in some way. You know, I always feel like research is important for the writer so that he or she kind of reaches a point where they feel comfortable making things up and telling a story. You know, just it's more for grounding you, the writer, than it is for educating the reader in any way. You know, to me, this book is about metal, but it could have been I could have been writing about gangs in Rio de Janeiro or hardcore Dungeons and Dragons enthusiasts. You know, it's just What's an interesting world that really kind of begs to, to have a story told in it and through it and about it in some way? I won't 
spoil sort of the last third of the book because there's a lot that happens there that you maybe wouldn't have exactly anticipated when you yeah. first start in Florida. But did you know that that's where you wanted to go? Did you, how did you incorporate sort of that Norwegian storyline in? Yes. When you started writing about just these young people and their experiences, was that always there or did that sort of come through when you were doing that research? Well, I always wanted to tell a story that would follow three metal, hardcore super fans um, through a few different phases of that subculture and, and different genres of music as well. The book really is, is divided into three almost equal parts. The first one is in this uh, interesting part of Florida that I, I came to know a bit about, and I spent some time down there. And that's a certain type of, of metal as well. It's a, it's a genre of metal called death metal, which is very loud and very scary and very hard to listen to. But the guys who make it are actually, most of them, quite lovable and quite quite sweet, you know, um, which was my experience in most metal scenes that I was ever ever a part of, either either as a fan or as a or as a music journalist later. So I knew that it was going to start with death metal in Florida. Then when the kids, when they when they got out of high school and, and really wanted to strike out as as adults, I knew I wanted to go to LA because that was this very interesting time uh in LA music, uh especially in the, the kind of metal scene in which there was this battle for the future of of the music between bands that we call hair metal or glam metal bands you know that were making huge amounts of money and all over mtv um and then this kind of more underground garage uglier maybe slightly more honest or politically engaged more punk influenced metal called thrash that was kind of coming up you know of which the, by far the most famous example would be metallica and then, you know, it was almost inevitable to me that I would end up in the, in the last third of the book going to Scandinavia and to Norway because I'm roughly the same age, actually, uh, as the characters in the book. And I remember very clearly in um, the early 90s hearing about this incredibly creepy, scary stuff that was happening in Sweden and particularly in Norway. These bands that were not only making scary music, they were actually trying to practice what they preached, essentially, you know, rather than pretending to be evil, but actually being cuddly. These were people who were very young kids, actually, most of them teenagers, young, I mean, mid sort of 15, 16, 17 years old, who were maybe too young to even get that you, you know, the value of the theater of metal, you know, and that, and that it's, a, and that it's a release and a fantasy, and that uh, most of it should be taken metaphorically. They were taking it very seriously. They were burning down churches. They were trying to kill each other. There's a lot of really scary stuff. And I remember being the same age as the characters in the book and hearing about this stuff and thinking, oh my God, this is terrifying. But of course, also fascinating. It was just too much to resist to not take my characters there for the last third of the book. And again, it was just a world and a subculture that I knew was just kind of begging uh, to be written about in a novel. I mean, to my knowledge, uh, there hasn't really been a, 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 a serious attempt to write about this world in a in a novel. So that in and of itself was exciting to me. There's such a care for someone like me who is familiar with this subculture, but also grew up after a lot of this had already happened. And so yeah. only heard about things. And again, being from the Midwest where there's a lot of Scandinavian people, we did hear about, I always grew up hearing about those like Norwegian bands and stuff, but then it was also sort of just used against the culture, the group as a whole, a lot of people saying, well, of course, that's what that's like. And it sort of becomes skewed in that way. 
Right. But for most of us growing up, you did have that great community sense. And so it's uh, such a book that's written with care for the community uh, in a way that often writers who write about these insular communities, they maybe don't understand that, you know, you want to write from a respectful way, even if you're writing about something like that isn't something you'd approve of. Even in Godsend, a similar thing, there's so much care taken with those characters. When you're writing about these insular groups, do you feel not responsibility, that's too much of a strong word, but you know, you want to take that care and that respect when you're writing for these groups that people don't understand? First of all, if you don't write with a sense of respect, I mean, that respect that you talk about comes from understanding. It comes from really trying to understand someone and really trying to see the world from their perspective and, 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 and walk a few miles in their shoes. So if you don't do that, you're, you're going to write bad novels anyway, or bad short stories, bad prose, bad, bad essays. It doesn't matter. I mean, that respect to me is almost like a byproduct of just trying to write a really good book that's real and that's nuanced and isn't just some sort of ironic spoof. Years ago, I wrote a novel about a schizophrenic teenager. And I remember thinking as I was writing it, you know, I just don't want this book to end up being part of the problem. There's so much misunderstanding around schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and mental illness. I don't want to add to that misunderstanding. So there was a a feeling of responsibility there. And that's fine. I think that's a very good motivator. That's sort of, I mean, it's more than responsibility. It's like fear of just sucking, you know, it's like, I don't want to write some garbage that people are going to dismiss and that people who have had these experiences will tell me is totally inaccurate. Also, I just love kind of sort of loud, heavy underground music of any kind. You know, that's sort of what I was reared on. I mean, for me, it was hugely important. It gave me a sense of community and, and, a, and a, a strangely a sense of what was possible artistically, that there were people out there who could make things that, that were terrifying to, to your average sort of, I don't know, music fan. But they could somehow find a way of making that also beautiful and surviving in that world and, and maybe even, I don't know, making that their whole way of life. That's just exciting to me, whether you're talking about punk rock or you're talking about metal or you're talking about even more obscure things like writing novels. Sure. If you go deep enough and you have love for it, it might just give you a, a sort of reason for living, you know? I mean, not to, not to get too dramatic here. Sure. You know? But I mean, for so many people... And for, I mean, your characters in this book, Kira and Kip and Leslie Z, some of the best characters, they find this and it does give them, you know, sort of that reason, that community. And yes, they go through a lot of, you know, trials and tribulations with each other and with their communities in general. But it really does offer readers who have experienced something, whether, like you said, whether it's with metal music or with Dungeons and Dragons or with football or whatever that might have been that for them growing up i think there's going to be an insight there yeah or with or with gaming or with people who like to do cosplay or with people Mm -hmm. who are passionately devoted to obscure english sort of parlor mysteries of the early 20th century or people who 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 go birding these are all ways that that outsiders and people who feel marginalized or just misunderstood or just out of place these are all systems of meaning that they can find and, and ways of, of, of seeing, seeing the world as a beautiful place and a place full of promise mm-hmm. rather than just a dead end. Kip sort of is the character whose voice we follow through most of this book. 
And there were a lot of moments where I was like, Kip, you got to get it together. You just, you got to get it together. Um, I felt the same way. Yes. How did you find his voice? Was his the first voice that came to you? When you're writing these stories, do you start with plot and you sort of find the characters on the way? Or is it a voice in your head that starts? I definitely do not start with plot. Gone to the Wolves has a lot of plot and and it kind of moves from sort of coming of age novel to something almost like a... I don't know, almost like a thriller towards the end, because one of these three friends vanishes and the other two friends go to Norway uh, to try to figure out what happened. So there's an element of mystery to it. But, but the plot, to me, has to arise out of, out of the tensions and the, and the situations between the various characters. So it really starts with, with characters. Um, you know, Leslie Z is probably my favorite character in the book, and he's kind of taken whole cloth from a dear friend of mine who loves to argue with me about music and is a, a, a terrible, insufferable know-it-all about, about every type of music you can imagine. I can't tell you who it is because he's, he's quite, a, quite a famous writer, so I would probably get in, in trouble. But I think it's a loving portrait, you know. It, so in a way, the main friendship story maybe began with that character, with Leslie Z, who's a very eccentric very unusual metal fan because, I mean, for all sorts of reasons, you know, he's this slightly well-off kid in kind of nowhere Florida who was, however, adopted by these old, very old adopted parents. He's African-American. He's he's bisexual. He's very flamboyant. You know, he ought to be just dead, basically. And yet, ironically, the way that he's found to survive in a part of the country that's not very open to his identity and just who he is naturally is through heavy metal, the last place you'd imagine that he would find shelter, you know? So that was kind of a fun thing for me to, to try and write about. I mean, Leslie Z has one of the best introductions in the book that I've seen. Readers, you're going to love it. <laughs> his character is truly one of those great rocks throughout this whole thing. Even when you are upset at Kip or worried about Kira, you always have Leslie Z to sort of bring things back. And even when you're worried about any of them, you always know that you hope that they're going to find their way sort of back together, even through these sort of ways that they pull apart and the tensions that they face. But you never shy away from sort of filling out your novels with these really intense and interesting side characters, supporting characters the tapestry you create with all of these different people that they meet along the way, whether it's Kira's cousin in Florida or some of the band members in LA to the real people or based on real people that they meet in Norway towards the end. How do you sort of create these tapestries and how do they weave together these character pieces that, you know, aren't our focal point? Well, that's one of the most fun things, in a way, is writing these kind of supporting characters, I suppose you could say, or even the characters who just have a little walk-on part, especially when you're writing about a scene and a culture that's as colorful and at times outlandish as metal and underground metal can be. You can kind of have fun with your, uh, I don't like to call them minor characters because they are important sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, with your sort of supporting characters. You can go places and you can be funny in ways that you can't always be when you're kind of trying to stay focused on the on the big picture and, and the big themes, I suppose you could say, or the story points. You know, in writing about the world of metal, there were so many chances to have really amazing, uh, sometimes hilarious, sometimes creepy sort of cameo appearances. Uh, also because I knew from the beginning that the book, um, since there aren't really any novels about 
metal, since metal has kind of been neglected as a subject matter in favor of every other type of, of kind of popular underground music. I, I had to try and at least kind of gesture in the direction of the incredible diversity and and vitality and and just the color of this of this world that these characters are moving through. Yeah, I love those minor characters. You know, I, I think the, there was once an interview with the 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 Italian director Federico Fellini, and the interviewer asked him about what his favorite thing was about the making films. You know, he, Fellini was famous for making these very wild, often sort of surreal, very Italian. Like he directed La Dolce Vita and Eight and a Half and movies like that. And he immediately said, oh, the faces. And the interviewer was like, I don't know. I'm not sure I understand. You just mean the physical faces? He's like, well, yes, you know, I, I have to tell a story, but then I get to put all these people in the background and crossing right. the room and having, and they all have the craziest faces. Their faces are so amazing. And he just went off and had these strange faces that he put in the background of his movies was his favorite thing. And But I understand what he means because these little quick sketches that can sometimes be far out, that's a lot of fun, you know? It's, it's almost like taking a tiny little smoke break, you know, from the main work of the novel. And you're like, oh, this would be so great. Or sometimes you remember some crazy person, some wild person you met, and you think, oh, maybe I can, I could, you know, that couldn't be a main character, but, but you know, she could be, she could be kind of like at the next table in this scene, you know? That, that's awfully fun. Well, it makes it so much more, rich and enjoyable. I mean, this book doesn't let you take a breath, really, at any point. You kind of just have to, like, I read this mostly in one sitting, because every wow. time, every time I would try and stop, I'd be like, well, I just kind of need to see that one next thing. And then that one next thing turned into, and now I've finished the book. Oh, that's so, great. You never really give us an opportunity to slow down or stop. But I think that that, I mean, like any great metal song, why would you want to slow down? Yeah, metal songs aren't really known for their like long, quiet, relaxing no. interludes. <laughs> no, yeah, you got to keep that momentum, keep going. When you're writing, how do you keep that momentum? Do you find that as a conscious choice? Like I, I need to keep going because I have to, I have so much plot that I have to sort of put this all out there? Or is it the way that the characters interact? Because like I said, we, you don't get a breath in this book. <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, and it's done. Well, that's great. I did want it to sort of accelerate towards the end, you know, to have it yes. taking your time at the beginning and then kind of get faster and faster. On the most basic boneheaded level, as a writer, you're, you're asking yourself, would I want to read this? You know, am I still engaged? Am I still entertained? I mean, there's a huge amount of cutting, of course, that happens. You can't always be on top of it, you know. Um, sometimes you get you get kind of distracted like a bird seeing like a, you know, like a magpie seeing a little glittery button over there. You think, oh, maybe I should write a chapter about, you know, the iconography of metal band t-shirts and band logos, you know. And, and maybe I'll just, I, could, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. And then before you know it, you've, you have written an entire chapter going into the fine points of metal t-shirts and why would you want a logo for a band to be unreadable to most people and all of these weird things. But of course that immediately got cut. I mean, that just had to go. That would only be something that a tiny little fraction of, of very nerdy obsessives would ever want to read. <laughs> There's a scene early on when they're at a concert and they can't make out the name of a band, like there's a band right. performing and they can't tell. And I think like for most people who've been to metal shows or like many concerts in general, like those local shows where you're like, who is this? 
Yeah. And maybe it's because you absolutely want to see them again, or maybe it's because you absolutely want to make sure you never see them again, <laughs> but you can't figure out the name and then you can't read the name on the t-shirt and you're just trying to ask people. That's yeah. very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you can do that. You can write a chapter and then condense it down into a, a single little funny moment, you know, and, and you realize then later, I mean, that's what editing is for. You realize, oh, that's all I really needed. Was there a lot of this book on the cutting room floor? Are there many more adventures of these three that we may never see? No, I mean, most of the, uh, most of their adventures are, are in there. I got rid of some, you know, these kids all come, or two of the three good friends who, who kind of drive the novel. There's, there's Kip, who, as you said, is, is in a way kind of our point of view. Then there's Hira, who Kip is kind of in love with for most of the book, who's kind of the coolest of the three. Uh, and then there's Leslie Z, who we mentioned. But Kip and Kira really both come from very rough backgrounds. And um, there was an earlier version of the book where we really went deep into, um, into those backgrounds. And there were some, some pretty uncomfortable chapters in there. I, I can write dark stuff. That's the sort of what I, what I have done for most of my career. So uh, I, I was kind of enjoying the writing or thinking it was well-written or something, but that doesn't matter. And eventually I, I, I realized it's, it's understood with just a small gestures, you know, that that these are kids who uh, have something that some, something they're trying to get away from. Not only are they going into the world of metal, but they're trying to get away from some family stuff and other things. And then there was a lot of, you know, again, there was a lot of geeking out and random, you know, really kind of, for me, very fun stuff. A lot of descriptions of like crazy metal shows and stuff. And I realized maybe one of those is enough or one or two, you know, again, like if people want to, they can listen to the music, they can go see the shows. So I just really tried to keep it as fun as possible and as entertaining as possible. There are some kind of quote unquote literary writers who are very protective of that designation or that identity and will almost talk about entertainment as something that is inherently suspect. And I've never be believed that. I mean, if you look at the the glory days when when the, the novel was kind of first not created, but kind of developed into what we understand it to be now, Charles Dickens or the Brontes or, you know, people from that era, they were very much trying to entertain as well as whatever else they may have been interested in doing. And I've never understood why novels shouldn't try to do both. Absolutely. And like you said, some of your previous novels would be generously called intense. Um, <laughs> they tackle some pretty hefty subjects. Yeah. And some pretty hefty themes. And not that this book doesn't. I mean, there's plenty of heavy themes or, you know, things to delve into in Gone to sure. the Wolves. But it is at heart an entertaining, you know, fun novel. And That's it's what a coming I was going of, for. And you, you did it. Don't worry. And it's a coming of age story. I mean, so many of your novels are coming of age stories, but they're maybe skewed in ways that are not quite the traditional coming of age story. Yeah. Thinking low boy, maybe. Many of your books take place at these sort of pivotal moments in your characters' lives. Do you think that that just lends well to novels, or do you go sort of looking for those moments where we change? Definitely, absolutely. And I think if you look at uh, virtually any novel, no matter what it's about, it could be you know, a speculative fiction novel, it could be a Stephen King novel, what will drive the plot forward and will make it suspenseful will be these, these periods of intense testing and intense change, transformative moments, uh, forks in the road, all these things. One's teenage years, early 20s. I mean, those, those pivot points and those crisis points are just, they're more tightly packed together than they are later in life, probably. I, I feel as though 
I just have such such crystal clear memories of of, of such intense emotion uh, from my miserable teens into my uh, somewhat better twenties. You know, they're like little bells inside of me, and all I need to do is think about age seventeen, and and that bell will ring again just as clearly as it did the first day. There's a huge appeal for a writer in, in going to those moments that they remember most vividly, especially from the emotional side of things, going back to when you felt the most, you know. That said, I, you know, I'm older now. I still have feelings. So uh, my next book will probably not be about 18-year-olds um, or 24-year-olds. Um, maybe maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll work on, uh, you know, 48-year-olds instead. I mean, there's something about being that age where everything feels like life or death. And sometimes yeah. in your books, it is life or death. Yeah. But these, for a lot of these young people, everything feels like that. It's that invincibility you feel when you're yeah. 18 and you feel like you can take on anything. And then you really quickly, life shows you exactly what it's going to be for the next however many years. And you right, right. really encounter a lot of those That's right. Challenges. Yeah, for sure. When I think about those, those books, I also, I, I really find myself drawn to writing about first love, you know, um, the, the, really the first time that uh, a character feels actual love for, for, for someone else. Um, that can, of course, be through friendship or it can be all sorts of things, you know. I mean, for these kids, it's also the music that they're passionate about. But it is very much also a love story. In, in a way, a kind of, it's a kind of multidirectional love story. Each of these three characters, on, in one way, is in love with, 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 with the other and, and feels a, a profound friendship towards everyone you know it's like a but it is about first love for me it's about kip falling in love with kira and and that in and of itself is how he becomes an adult you know trying to figure out what that means trying to make that connection with her then trying to make a relationship with her work as grown-ups living in los angeles and not even be able to you know pay the rent and then seeing that not go the way that he hoped and the lessons that he learns you know kira grows up through it kip grows up through it Leslie as well, you know, probably first love is, the, is, you know, if I had to pick a single most potent and, and valuable subject to write novels about, it would have to be that, you know, corny as it sounds. I think that those moments are sort of the most vivid that stick out, those like, interconnections between those characters and those moments where Kip realizes how he feels about Kira and sort of the actions it leads him to take. And also... Yeah the way that we sort of see each of those characters relate to falling in love with music and seeing right. how it can provide that for them as well, that community, that sense, that first love. Yeah. And it all goes back to the music. So I have to ask, do you listen to music when you write? What was the soundtrack for writing this book? Because it feels like I was listening to a lot of metal while I was reading, and I don't normally listen to music when I read, but I felt like I had to soundtrack it. So. <laughs> So what was that like? Um, you know, my relationship to listening to music when I'm working is a very complex and fraught and kind of guilty one because usually I feel as though I shouldn't be doing it. You know, I feel as though maybe I'll be more focused, more concentrated, just a better writer if uh, I can have the discipline to just go into a silent white room and forget <laughs> that I even exist and just try to work. But, and so some days that I can do that, but uh, a lot of days... I feel like I need a little something to uh, to carry me through it, you know. I guess mainly just so I do, so you don't feel so so lonely while you're doing it or something. I don't know. 
I did uh, listen to music quite a bit uh, while I was writing this book. But what I realized about myself is the music I listen to while writing can't have any human voices in it of any kind and shouldn't be too attention grabbing or too invasive in any way. So I became more and more kind of into or I just spent more and more of my time listening to types of metal. You know, metal has is, is, is an unbelievably varied musical genre and there are types of metal that you could never listen to while you're writing you know like 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 death metal for example i don't know if anyone could do that but then especially in the last few decades it's also gone in these other very far more minimalistic uh directions played a friend some of the songs i was writing to and he was he said oh this is just isn't even this isn't even metal you know so i listened to quite a lot of uh, a band called earth from seattle that uh they play these very repetitive drony kinds of of songs with almost never any singing at all. Um, and then the the best music actually for me to write this book to was an even more obscure band probably from Los Angeles called Sun. That's uh, it's spelled S U N N and then it has this weird symbol behind it. People sometimes think they're called Sun O because it looks like a sun. Most of their music has no vocals, no drumming. I listen to a lot of drony guitar. You know, sort of if you could imagine uh, Philip Glass, but with distorted guitars, that's the kind of stuff I listen to. I always wonder what people listen to when they write, because when I'm working, I, you know, I can never decide what I what works best to listen to. But I agree that things with no lyrics are kind of the way to go on that. So I'm always looking for new recommendations on something to get me through my work. I heard that there's a theme song maybe for this book Uh through Uh Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. That again, that's just sort of uh, to emphasize the sort of fun aspect of this whole thing. Um, I don't think I even realized when I started writing the book how much fun it was going to be for me, Um, not just to revisit these memories that I had and so on. But I would say even more than that, just, you know, the world of metal and uh, is really such a colorful kind of like dramatic, you know, with a real awareness of how funny it all is from the people involved. It's just such an amazing kind of community and culture to write about. Even the, even the, the language that is used, and of course, all the visuals. It's, it's every writer's dream to find that kind of material. So I had a lot of fun writing it. And then I've been having a lot of fun kind of thinking about things we could do to celebrate its publication. Um, and I, I also play music uh, and have since I was a teenager, mostly terrible, um, but always fun. So uh, a friend happened to uh, have access to a, a, a kind of big Manhattan studio that, he, that was empty. He knew somebody who knew somebody. And so uh, we got free time to, to try and on the spot make up uh, sort of an anthem for the, for the novel or a theme song for the novel. So we went in there and we cranked everything up to 11 and we plugged in all the weird distortion pedals and we just bashed away. We made this funny little, very short 90 second little song. Uh, called Gone to the Wolves that will be done soon. And I guess we'll put, you know, maybe even FSG will be so bold as to put it up on their uh, on their social media somewhere. Not the greatest song in the world, but a lot of fun to make. Well, I look forward to it because that is a great accompaniment to any book. Why don't all books have theme songs? I think right? they should. I think maybe from now on they all should. Yes. All right. I like to always wrap up with sort of a couple important questions. One sure. of them is, what is a book that you've read recently that you think everyone has to read? What's your big recommendation right now? Oh, I just read uh, the new novel by Catherine Lacey, uh, Biography of X. 
which I thought was, was really beautiful. In a way, it's a portrait of herself and, and her understandings of herself as, 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 as a person who loves other people and as a person in relationships and as a woman in the United States and, you know, all of these things that are very, very worth going into. But also you can just tell she had fun with writing the book. And I always love reading novels or nonfiction, although it's more common in novels, where you can just really tell that the person just had a blast writing this book, you know? It doesn't mean it's, it's, it's any less weighty or serious in terms of its import, but you can just tell reading Catherine Lacey's latest novel that she had a great time writing it. You know, if the writer is excited, I think the reader will be excited. And it's as simple yeah. as that. And my final question, what's next for you, John Ray? Have you started your next book? They always say, you know, you should start working on something when you've got something else. And they, they say that. And for a, quite a long time, I did that. I was very, I was, a, I was a good little chipmunk, you know, working away, trying to follow that sort of trollop code or like the, uh, I think the Graham Greene uh, approach, which is, you know, if you finish the novel and you've only written 200 words that day, you need to write 300 more of the next project. You know, that's crazy. But <laughs> I thought I might this time around, but uh, I have a, a young son um, who's, who's uh, uh, two years old. When my wife and I are down here in Mexico, where I am right now, um, because she's from Mexico, we have a huge family to help us, but we're not down here most of the time. So I'm not really working on anything. I'm just trying to get, you know, Julian to eat his vegetables, frankly, sure. right now. And why not bask in the sort of appreciation for Gone to the Wolves? Because this this is a great book and i can't Thank wait you so for, much i can't wait for all of our listeners to get their hands on it so gone to the wolves it's out now john ray thank you so much for this conversation today it's been great thank you it's been a blast hello readers it's time for another tbr top off we're going to recommend a couple of great books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of gone to the wolves I'm Mark coming to you from My Barnes & Noble in Cincinnati, and I'm joined by my book buddy, Madison. Hi, Madison. Hello, I'm Madison coming to you from my store in Los Angeles. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with a fantastic pick? I would love to kick this one off. So when I was thinking of a book to recommend for Gone to the Wolves, I decided to go with a recently released novel, and that is YN by Esther Yee. I chose this one because I find it so fascinating because as a person who like enjoys K-pop, I like listening to K-pop. I think it is like so intriguing, like just like that sector of like music and like learning about it and like the like culture around it and like the lifestyle around it. This book was right up my alley. So this is a fiction novel and it centers around our narrator. You never learn her name. Uh, it's just YN. So she is a Korean American woman living in Berlin, but her obsession with a K-pop idol sends her to Seoul, South Korea. Her obsession is the only thing like running her life. It's the only thing she can think about. She like ditches her boyfriend, job, life in Germany, all of it. She's like, I'm going to get rid of it all. I only care about Moon. He's my like lifeblood. I only care about him. He's my main focus. So she does it. She leaves her old life behind, moves, and she's like, I'm going to have my YN moment. And when he meets me, he'll fall in love with me. And I think this book like highlights so well the idolization of idols 
that's why they're called idols. It's so their fans can idolize them. So they can like idolize them as their like ideal types, the ideal man, the ideal woman. And this book does it so well and kind of also like shows you kind of like that toxic headspace that some like fans can get into of like when you idolize someone so, so much, that obsessive behavior that kind of can like take over. And you have our narrator, she begins to write a fanfic, which as we know, like fan fiction writing, this isn't a dig on fan fiction writing. We all got to start our stories somewhere. And some of them turn into really, really great books. Like there are a lot of like people joke been like, well, this used to be like a Star Wars fanfic or a like Twilight fanfic or Harry Styles. Like those are out there. And then like they become actual fantastic novels. So I just want to put out there. This is not a dig on fan fiction writers. All right. It's just a part of the story. <laughs> so she starts to write basically her ideal life, her why in life with her idol. And through a bunch of like twists and turns, she finds herself, there's a lot of miscommunication, misidentification, mistranslation. She finds herself at the entertainment company of her idol after he retires and vanishes. So she finds herself in her own like, YN moment and I don't want to spoil anything because I think this book is an amazing amazing read I think it was done so well but if you want a book that is fascinating and you want a glimpse into the over idolization of k-pop and k-pop idols I would highly recommend it I think this was it was, it was fantastically written that's all I can say excellent, yeah. excellent, <laughs> excellent. Uh, as soon as that book had come into the story I thought oh this is a Madison book Absolutely. I'm sure that she saw this come her way up in the grove. As like a fan of K-pop, I was like, I don't know how I could get to that level. It's intense. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, I chose a book that I kind of count as sort of a fun companion to Gone to the Wolves. And that is the book Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal. It's put out by John Widerhorn and Catherine Turman. This is essentially a, a perfect companion. You can bolster your fiction reading experience with true accounts of the music industry and specifically the metal movement. It just helps surge the prose on even more. It's almost 800 pages. It's a whopper of a tome, but it is very accessible. You can read it start to finish and get a, a semi- historical, chronological account of the metal movement, or you can pinpoint your favorite bands and focus on those, or you can just kind of jump around because it's full of interviews. It's full of fantastic photographs. It's got just a great commentary on all things metal and about music in general. It covers uh, 25 years of the genre and it discusses sort of like the seedlings of the beginnings of metal, highlights iconic artists, uh, and then starts to kind of pave the way a little bit for the future of music. The interviews are full of fun anecdotes, to be sure, but collectively, I think they create this really interesting tapestry of a musical lifestyle that I think has influenced our culture in so many ways. If you want something to kind of add an extra meal to Gone to the Wolves, I think that Louder Than Hell is a a fantastic way to do so. So Louder Than Hell, John Widerhorn, Catherine Turman, fantastic read. So check it out. That's all we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in to Poured Over. Please make sure to give us a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
You can also follow us on our socials at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. I'm Mark. You can follow my home store at BN Westchester. And I'm Madison. You can follow my home store at BN Events Grove. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Happy reading. Bye. Happy reading. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.